was so wonderful, and I'm so refreshed in the Lord. I was quite tired yesterday because we've kind of been nonstop for three or four days, but uh, a two-hour nap and then 10 hours last night left me in good stead, and I'm ready today. We are ready today to step in to the next-to-last church, which is the faithful church it's been described. This is the church in Philadelphia, and I'm not talking about the church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. This is the church in Philadelphia unto whom Jesus wrote, and uh, I think it's kind of key. You know, nothing is by chance in God's Word, and did any of y'all know what the word Philadelphia means? It's a city of brotherly love. So it's a clue to us when a church is a faithful church and a church is behaving and acting and living and being with one another in the way that the Lord wants us to be a church, we're going to be a church of brotherly love. And I have to say, I've never been in a church that is, is focused, I guess, on brotherly love as this church. And I mean that, and I've been in a lot of churches in my life. I don't know if it's just a function of our size yet, as, as we are, and we've not been overrun yet by whatever's coming our way on 249, but we have experienced something unique and beautiful, and I praise God for that. So I think even as we grow, if God decides that we should grow, we should always remember this word to the faithful church. Open your Bibles to Revelation 3, and we're going to go in verse 7 through 13. And to the angel of the Lord in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy. Well, we know right there, he who is holy is Jesus. He who is true. He who has the key of David. He who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength. Not a lot of strength, but a little strength. You have kept my word. You have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them to come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Verse 10, because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I'm coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. The new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Lord, I pray that this morning I would have an ear to hear. I pray that the people sitting in these pews would have an ear to hear. Lord, we want to hear a word for not only this church in Philadelphia, but also for Union Grove Baptist Church of Whitehall, Lord, that you love so much, and for each and every person sitting in these pews, Lord, whom you love so much. And Lord, I pray this, open our eyes that we might see in Jesus' name, amen. So there's some interesting stuff going on here. We see a church that's persevering. That means keeping on, keeping on, okay? And uh, kind of the theme for the day, I don't know if any of y'all have ever watched that crazy movie called Galaxy Quest. Anybody ever read, watched it? Yeah, Dr. House is raising his hand. Some of us brave, brave. It's one of my favorites right along with Throw Mama from the Train, all right? 
You see into my brain. But what I love is this captain on there is screaming, never surrender, never give up, never surrender. And once I watched that, that was my mantra to the kids in the McMullen family. Kind of like no matter what. And we'll see a picture of the good captain in a minute. But that is the word to us today, to be faithful. Don't give up, guys. I'm not giving up. We've come too far, right? We're not turning back. So we start off, what does it mean to be faithful? And I thought about faithfulness. How do we live out the Christian life where we can say that we're faithful, where we get to the end and the Lord says, uh, welcome my good and faithful servant, right? The Christian life is not a sprint, I've heard it said, but a marathon. A sprint is the guy that can run fastest, the, you know, in school. It was the guy across the soccer field. It was, so- it was Scotty Ernest when I was a kid. Man, he could run like a freight train, but you know what? On three miles, I could take Scotty Ernest because he didn't have what it took to do the whole round. And the Christian life is a marathon. It's like a long, long journey that we take being led by the Holy Spirit who gets us to the end. So what is this thing about confidence? He talks in there, if we look, about confidence. Confidence, I put, is is in a person or a thing when you're trusting in a person or a thing, and when you're faithful towards that someone or that something, you remain loyal and consistent. And I thought of this before I looked it up online on the Google Dictionary to see if I got that right. So we know that when you have trust in somebody or something, you remain loyal to them and you remain consistent. So no matter what comes, okay? So it begs the question then, well, what is loyalty? Well, loyalty is when you're there for somebody in the highs and the lows. I think of it in the context of my own marriage that we've hopefully most of the time been there for one another during the highs and the lows. Everybody goes through rough patches, as I call them, in their marriages. But loyalty means that you're going to be there for someone through highs and lows. And I would say even in a church, I need to be there during the highs and the lows with each of you in my relationships with you because our relationships go through highs and lows. Mine with Michael has done that. With Scott, I don't ever remember low, but because uh, he's always so high, I got to get up there to talk to him, right? And so joyful. But no, there's times when we are not as in touch as much, and but it's a long and lasting relationship. We're, we're there for one another, come what may. Loyalty involves accepting and loving someone for who they are. And that includes accepting the Lord for who he is. You know, it's hard sometimes when we say, God, why is this happening to me? As we heard on the first night of the revival, Romans 8, 28, when Kevin preached it, instead of me not accepting the love of the Lord, say, Lord, you must have a purpose in this, and I'm going to choose God to believe that you're good. And I go through that a lot even now as I'm aging, and I look out and I see, you know, physical, I don't want to call it impending doom, but I mean, things that are on our horizon, you know, I'm praying, Lord, bring us some young couples because some of us old timers are just not exactly as active as we used to be, right? Amen, Larry? But I accept that God is doing what he's going to do and he's going to take care of our little church. So consistency means you dedicate yourself to that goal. So I want to dedicate myself to a life of holiness. That's part of the reason when Sandy and I had our tombstones cut, we put seven Features about our own character, our our tombstones over there. If you ever go see it, it's not my dad buried in there, it's us, because there's no second date there. It just says when I was born. And we wanted to live out 
who we think that we're supposed to be. So we wrote that on our tombstone. And praise God, up to now, she hadn't gone crazy and run off. So not that I would do that. Thanks for laughing, Diane. You always help me. But anyway, we stay focused on the things and the activities to achieve those goals. That's consistency, and that's the way it is in the Christian life. It requires a long-term commitment. It's not a flash-in-the-pan sort of thing. If it is, it's the kind of seeds that Jesus talks about in the parable of the sower, sower that are on shallow ground, and the sun comes and burns them up, and there's nothing there, right? It's long-term commitment from you and involves a sustained effort. And look at this, doing actions repeatedly over a long time. When you've been married a long time, over, over time, it's like anything. If things are not invested in that relationship, things kind of begin to deteriorate, all right? We talked about the Aggie bonfire last week, remember, and whether or not we add things onto it and, and the fire will go out if we don't. It's the same way in our Christian walk, and it's not a white-knuckle kind of thing where I've got to do this. Oh, I've got to do this. I've got to do that. It's really you giving up of yourself every day, saying, Lord, just take us today and guide us where you want us to be. I mean, that's what we, we pray together. It may be 30 seconds that Sandy and I pray together. We say, Lord, guide Sandy today where you want her to be, that she'll be doing what you want her to do, and the same thing with me. So when things that seem to be un unexpected interruptions in our life, we're equipped and ready to handle those and take them, all right, because we're prayed up to do so. And so we do that action repeatedly, and it not only helps our relationship, but I think it helps us to be guided by the Holy Spirit because we're submitting ourselves to Him. So in verse 7, and I'm, I'm going to get my text here in front of me, preaching the text, he talks first about he that is holy in, in truth. And has the key of David. I thought these were kind of interesting. And so I looked up and I thought, well, what, is, what does the dictionary say that truth is? Jesus, of course, said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The third definition of truth in the Merriam-Webster dictionary says, a transcendent, fundamental, and spiritual reality. And then it adds that's outside of time and space. That is Jesus Christ. He is a trans transcendent and fundamental spiritual reality that is not confined by time or space. All right? So I'm just saying this because this is written to the messenger, or we might think the pastor of the church in Philadelphia. This is the one speaking that is holy, and that is Jesus, who is set apart, and he is true. On Friday night, we had a tremendous sermon by Kevin that was Jesus is enough. And it was one of the best sermons I've ever heard in my life. It is on the website. I encourage you to go because I left so inspired and once again in love with Jesus that that is how you get revived. You fall in love with Jesus all over again. And I'm sure you've gone through part of that, Pastor Michael, as you were in there where Jesus walked. You fall in love with him over again. The John In Hebrews, the writer says, For it was not fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled. I'm putting this text in to show that he is holy. Separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. And when we studied, remember at Christmas time, it was interesting that Pilate, and I never saw it until this past Christmas, at some point they're sitting there talking about truth. And Pilate goes, well, what is truth? And there the truth of the entire 
universe was standing in front of him, and it was Jesus Christ in the flesh in front of Pilate, and he could not even recognize him. We're blinded to the truth when we're attracted and distracted. This business about the key of David I thought was interesting. I looked over at Isaiah 9-7, and listen to Isaiah 9-7. O key of David and scepter of the house of of Israel, you open and no one can shut. You shut and no one can open. Come and lead the prisoners from the prison house, those who dwell in darkness and in the shadow of death. One of the trips that Sandy and I took to Israel, we were standing outside of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. That's where it's believed that Jesus was crucified there on Calvary. And and so they have the place in there where the tomb was. But there is an Arab family that has been assigned the key for about a thousand years. I don't know if y'all have ever seen them come and do the locking. And it's a big ceremony, and these Arab guys come, and they lock it all up, I guess because the Christians couldn't get along with one another. And so they assigned it to an Arab family, and they lock up the church at night, and they open it up in the morning. They are the only ones with the authority to open the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. I just think that's kind of interesting. Jesus is the only one who is in authority and has the key of David. He's the only one with the key to the throne of David. When he comes back, he will rule from the throne of David. I think it's going to be probably there in the city of David in a reestablished palace. I don't know, but this is what this business about Jesus having this authority is. He has the key, the key of David. You know, that's part of the Davidic, what's called the Davidic uh, covenant is that the Messiah who would reign and rule forever and ever and ever would come from the house of David. So we see this is Jesus talking in verse seven. And then he talks about this strength, that they have a little strength. And I thought it's interesting that they have a little bit of strength, but you know what? It's enough. And it's important for us to remember, Diane, that it's the little bit of strength that we have plus God's strength can overcome anything. It's that strength I have just to say, Lord, I'm going to give this up to you because I can't handle this on my own. And he says, the second thing, even though you had this little bit of strength, you kept his word. And thirdly, they have not denied his name. And I thought that was so interesting about his name. And we're going to talk in a minute about some of the meanings of the name of Jesus. I have a couple of scriptures here. By what strength then, and I put here on my King James that I grew up with, from whence cometh our strength? That means where did it come from, okay? It comes from the Lord. John, 1 John 4, 4, which was Marianne Houston's favorite verse, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Why? Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Don't mistake this for your own strength. You have within you he that is greater than the world. So whatever trial and temptation and problem you come upon, you have the total force of almighty God residing inside of you as the Holy Spirit. And he says, you just had a little strength, but yet you were able to keep my word and you were able to not deny my name. It is by his strength and by his spirit that we are able. I love this quote out of Zechariah 4, 6. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. It is by his spirit, guys, that we're strengthened to be faithful, and to live out and be consistent in our Christian life. Because on our own strength, 
I give up. I get pretty worn out. I was pretty worn out by the time Kevin got here. And I think it was really because of just so many illnesses in the church. And gosh, I mean, we participated in 11 uh, funerals last year. That kind of gets you down. And it takes someone to come along and say, remember, all things work together for good. Whatever is good, what's noble, what's right, think on these things. That was night number two. And then last uh, Friday or night before last, Kevin just lifted up the name of Jesus. And I knew all that stuff already. But it's good to be reminded of it again and again, isn't it? At least it was for me. He goes on and he says, you have been faithful to my name. And I thought about this and I thought about how important names were. And I thought about Scott and I thought about Scott's name. Did you know Scott's name comes from a, from a shield? Scott comes from the Roman word scutus. And it was a big shield and it's a shield protecting people. That is Scott right there. That's Scott Armstrong. He's a protector of people. Not only that, in this room, we have defenders of men. Who in here is the defender of men that has gone and beat up on folks when they saw a bully picking on others? I was looking at you. Your name is Cassandra. What does your name mean? Do you even know? Your name, Sister Cassandra, means defender of men. Isn't that interesting? You are living out your name is that. And next to you is a person named Linda, whose name means beautiful and gentle. And you're beautiful and gentle. I just think it's kind of interesting how these names come to us. My name, Faber, means that I'm a builder and do things and, and creative things. Like that's where we get the word fabricate, and we don't mean to lie, but to actually do things with our hands. You know, fabrication can be a lie. And it goes on and on and on. The name Wayne. A Wayne is a wagon builder. I don't know if Wayne knows how to build a wagon or not, but we, all of our names. Yeah, Rena. So he's the gazelle that pulls the wagon, right? Now, now we know. And Arena, you're up there whipping that old gazelle on, right? Making it go. Anyway, he says, you've been faithful to my name. And this is what I like about this. The name of the Lord describes his character. Yes, Jesus, the name means Yahweh saves, right? But I thought about how when we begin to see what the Bible says about Jesus, this is what we do not deny and what we tell others. To the hungry, Jesus is the bread of life, John 6, 35. To the thirsty and that poor woman at the well, what is he? He's the living water. Guys, he's the living water to you and me. For those who need a foundation in their life, which is all of us, he is the chief cornerstone, Psalm 118, 22. I'm not copying what Kevin did, but on Friday night, Kevin took every book of the Bible. Was that powerful or what? And said what it answered that God is. Oh, it was incredible. I wrote him and I said, please just send me that on an email. I want to use it and I'll give you the credit. So this is sort of the idea for the person that's enslaved. He is the deliverer. So when you come across people in the byways and the highways of life, and they're enslaved, maybe they're enslaved by indoctrination of nuttiness. Maybe it's sin. Whatever it is, it's Jesus that's the deliverer. For the person who's living in darkness, Jesus is the light of the world, John 8, 12. For those who are, who are enslaved in the slave market of sin, he is the redeemer sometimes thought as the kinsman redeemer that comes and buys that person back 
when they were reduced to slavery. To the person that's living in a mud hole, and I sometimes am in a mud hole and can't catch my footing, he is my rock. Amen? And my fortress, 1 Corinthians 10.4. For the person who's fearful of dying, who is, has trepidation about the fact that their life's going to come to end, he's the resurrection and the life. For the person who can't find their way in the world, he is the door. And he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. For the hopeless, he's our hope, 1 Timothy 1.1. For the captive, he sets us free. Captive to all kinds of addictions, all kinds of problems, all kinds of uncertainties, he is the one that can set us free. To the little sheep in us when we're lost and don't know where we're going, he's the good shepherd. He guides us and directs us. Then I love this one because I'm a lawyer. To the one who's being defended, for the one who's accused, he's the advocate. All right? He's the defense lawyer that steps in and says, nuh-uh, not here, not now. No. This has been taken care of. The fines are all paid. You're to let him go. And he sets us free to go. The one who doesn't feel very strong, maybe you feel like a lamb or a, t- a timid rabbit is more like it. He's the Lion of Judah. To the person who has turmoil in their life, he's the pure shalom. He's peace, Ephesians 2.14. And to that person that needs and feels and understands that their sin is a burden between them and God, he is the perfect sacrifice that makes that all right and reconciles us to the Father. To the person that feels disconnected, you feel like you have no church family, all right? You feel like you don't belong. He's the true vine. You're the branch. Hallelujah. And last, for the person that's lost, and that's all of us, he's the Savior. That's Luke 2, 11. Say glory if you like that. So then on verse 9, he promises this eventual justice. He's saying it kind of weird when I first read it. It sounded like he was going to make them come and bow down to the faithful. I don't think it's saying that. We're going to get a ringside seat when we see those that are brought, because it says that every tongue will confess, every knee will bow and say, Jesus is Lord. We're going to have a ringside seat when we see Hitler hauled in and have to (laughs) bow his knee to the Lord Jesus. I'm looking forward to that. That's justice. And he talks about this synagogue of Satan. and, And I think the synagogue of Satan, really at that time, there were Jews that had forgotten all about the first commandments of of the law, which were to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, and mind, and then love their neighbor as themselves. And I would substitute that in our own thing. The synagogue of Satan is those that even follow the direction of Satan and don't even know they're following him, much of what's going on in the world. These will all be forced to be recognized in front uh, of, of us. All, all of these fakes, there are, I call it fake religiosity. And then he talks about perseverance having its own reward. So what is perseverance? What is perseverance? I heard John Bassanio say years ago, perseverance is when you keep on keeping on, all right? You keep on keeping on. You want to give up, but you don't, okay? Merriam-Webster says it's the continued effort to do or achieve something despite the difficulties, the failure, the opposition, and it's the action or condition of, or an instance of persevering, being steadfast, just to keep on keeping on. Romans 8, 28 says that, that all things work together for good for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. 
And Kevin put them in different words, but I thought of it as three Ps. He did it with ours. We have a promise. That is a promise that's made to all of us who love him. Okay, not to some of us, not to a couple of us, but to all of us. And it's about all things. And that all things work together is the divine providence of God, which move things around in our lives that bring us into his conform, to conforming into his into the image of Christ. We had Pastor Daniel and Pastor Sarah who came through here. They were coming for rest. They ended up ministering here in our church. Sarah played the piano. Daniel got up and received people. They were just here to unwind. And today he's preaching right now this moment. And, and they may vote him in as their pastor. And that was God's divine purpose. And you know what? This is the providence of God. Ten days into their visit here, I thought, they just hadn't been here long enough. Something is unfinished. There's unfinished business. And I said, Sandy, do you think it'd be all right if Daniel and Sarah stayed over in Pleasant Hill a little bit longer? She says, I think they need to stay till Easter. I said, I do too. So they stayed through to Easter. And during that two-week period, they sent their resume to a church in Dallas. And it accidentally went to Own Alaska and called them up to come for an interview. That is the providence of God, right? I mean, it's so cool. And they, they were sitting here thinking, oh, no, we didn't get the job maybe we were hoping for in Illinois or some other prospects that they had out there. And little Sarah, her, her daddy told me that she said, Lord, close every other door except where we're supposed to be. There they were sending their resume to one church, and it didn't get there and went to another. God was answering their prayer, and that is the assurance that a believer can have from Romans 8, 28. Lastly, when we understand that we can have peace, we can rest knowing that his wisdom and his promise are there and they have some purpose in our life, even though we may not understand these odd and strange, often strange things that happen to us. What's the purpose? To ultimately conform you and me into the image of Christ. So, and there's a reward that goes with this. I thought this was really good. And I don't know why, maybe someone needs to hear this today, but our verse for 2020, when COVID hit, was, when I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Do y'all remember when that was our church verse? And there, COVID came with 2020. And we were afraid, maybe some of us, for a while. And we knew, we had, God had already put it into our hearts that when we were afraid, we would trust in him. This says in 10, because you have obeyed my command, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. Now, you may agree or disagree, but I think this is another instance of the Bible telling us that we will be spared the great tribulation. I'm not saying we're going to be spared trouble and problems because we're already seeing that and many Christians in the world are, are being killed and tortured and going through things. I'm talking about the great tribulation. And I pulled up the Greek this morning, and I don't have to read that off to you, but what that says literally, that says, I also, you, will keep out of the hour of trial. Now, ek in there, do you see where I've, where I've emboldened that word? Ek is like kind of related to the Latin word exit, which we have there on the back door. Everybody knows what the exit is. It's where you go out, okay? The word for in in Greek is en, ain, right here, or en. It doesn't say that he will keep us in the tribulation. It says he's going to keep us out of it. That's like out of it or from it or outside of it. 
So I think this is another instance that I wanted to show where Jesus is saying, you know, you're going through troubles now, but a great tribulation is coming. And if you have persevered, you've maintained your faith, then you are not going to go through that great tribulation. I think we'll be removed. And y'all know that's the position that I take. There are other positions, but that's another reason I believe that. Then we go on to verse 11. Wow, there is, there he is. That's Captain Joseph Nesmith from Galaxy Quest. He says, never give up, never surrender. You got to go do a Google of that on YouTube and see the aliens saying it and everything else. I'll digress a second to say it's a very funny show. These aliens have tuned in to, to TV in the, in the United States, and they think that Star Trek is real, okay? And uh, they end up also saying, and whatever happened to that poor guy Gilligan? Did those poor people ever get off that island? It's, so, it's, it's very funny. But I say it as a motto of never give up, never surrender. Uh, that, is, that is what perseverance is because we want to give up. We want to surrender. Things come and you go, wow, is this just worth it? This is too much for me. It's the Lord telling us, keep on keeping on. There is a reward coming, and it awaits faithful living. You're almost there. I'm coming again. That's Faber's paraphrase of what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I'm almost there. Just keep on keeping on. And then 2 Corinthians 4.17, Paul says, for our light afflictions, that's what we're going through now, my feet, okay, the problems, your blood condition, Larry, it's just for a moment. And it's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. There's something beyond all of this. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen, what we're going through right here now, guys, the aging process, the problems process, they're temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. I want to I kind of begin to conclude saying surrender is not an option for the faithful follower of Jesus Christ. We have come this far, guys. No giving up. No surrender. Persevere. Are you with me? There were those that left him. In John 6, we read that from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. They couldn't take it anymore. It was too rough of a ride, okay? You ever feel like the Christian life is too rough of a ride? I have, and they could walk with him no more. Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? We have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And, and Scott and Michael and I have all asked each other this question because we've studied the word together about 25 years now. And now many of y'all join us on Tuesday mornings. I was like, where else are we going to go? I think it was Russell that brought it up. He said, I'm not going anywhere. We've come to believe that he's the Messiah, the son of the living God. Verse 12, then he says, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar. I thought, that's kind of strange, a pillar. And I went and asked a theologian that lives with me, my wife. What's all this business about pillars? She says, go over to Galatians 2.9 and see what it says. She says that Paul is talking about James and Cephas and John and Barnabas, all as pillars in the faith, okay? He who overcomes, that's going to be us. We're going to be a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall go out, it says, my God here four times. 
He will go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. We will all be part and parcel of God's temple. As a matter of fact, we're kind of that already as we're part and parcel of the church. Peter says this, you also as living stones, you and I are living stones, Diane. We're being built up into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then he says, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So my question is, he's saying in that, are you listening? That's what this means. By he that has an ear to hear, let him hear. Jesus is saying, wake up, guys. Smell the coffee. Listen. Put your ears on. Are you listening? And he's saying, be faithful. We've talked about what faithfulness is. Be loyal. We've talked about loyalty. Be consistent. We've talked about consistency. Obedience, guys and ladies, has its rewards. Obedience has its rewards. Let's keep on keeping on. So the question is, where can we as believers find a faithful church? We need to go find a faithful church. We need to find where God's word is preached verse by verse. We need to go find a church where people have love for one another. You're going, wait a minute. You mean we all got to leave here? I'm setting you up, Diane. We need to find a church where people care about one another. All right. We need to find a church where the ladies are excited about praying together. We need to find a church where the men outnumber the ladies on many days. And I love that. And I hope they always will. They did for a few years, not anymore. Y'all had 29. You got us beaten. Praise God. All right. Where do we find such a faithful church? For many, many years, y'all, I know we're a little bitty church. I went to churches, and frankly, I was kind of embarrassed to invite anybody to where I went to church. Can anybody relate to ever thinking, I love the Lord, but I don't really want to invite anybody to my church? And then we found a faithful church. There it is. <laughs> That happens to be Union Grove Baptist Church. And I'm saying this today because Betty has one month left with us. Betty, when you get to Uvalde, you look for the things that I just listed. Because, Betty, you are a pillar that kept this church alive through dark times. Diane, you are. Tim was. They did. They were faithful. They kept on kept, kept keeping on. Sue said, we just about put the key in an envelope and sent it to Steve Doyle at the association because we didn't know what else to do. You did not give up. You never surrendered. You said, Lord, come. And God came in this sanctuary today. There's a good number of people in here. Thank you for your faithfulness. So if you're looking for a faithful church, I think you're sitting in one right now. And I pray that we will always be a faithful church, even if we're down to seven. Even if we get down to that, even if we get down to five, even if there's three of us left, let's be faithful because with that faithfulness comes great reward. Now, lastly, there has been, well, for one month, there was one of us, you, me, and Sandy for a whole month on Wednesday nights, okay? I want to talk about this, and, and most people don't think this is the sole interpretation of Revelation, and I get that, but it might be. I find the Bible so many times multi-layered, and we've gone through these Ephesus, and I've talked about a time period, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, 
Sardis. Philadelphia is the missionary church. And I thought about how on fire the church has been from about 1730, and I would put it later to about 1950, 1960. When I was a little boy, the prevailing culture in the U.S. was Christian, okay? I remember when the presidents met with Billy Graham to pray with him. Do y'all remember that? Young people, y'all may not remember that. That is over now. That did happen. Look, there's Billy Graham with George Bush Sr., with uh, Bill Clinton. There's Billy Graham. There's Franklin Graham. And there's Jimmy Carter, who's, I understand, on his deathbed now. And we need to pray for him. Maybe this is the, was the missionary church. Maybe the Lord was encoding that in here. And the exciting thing is that if it is, then it means we're now at the time of the apostate church that we're going to take up next in Laodicea. So what's exciting about being in the apostate church if this order really means something? We're almost home and Jesus is coming soon. Think of that song. He's coming again, coming again. It may be morning, maybe night, maybe something, maybe bright. I don't remember the words. Sandy gets so frustrated because I can't remember words. But guys, if that is an underlying thought, as things seem to be falling apart and the church seems to be falling to the side, let's look up and rejoice for our redemption is nigh. Amen. Let's pray. Pastor Larry, would you please pray?